How does this sound? A character who does a ton of damage to pretty much every enemy on the battlefield while simultaneously debuffing the crap out of them and making themselves practically unhittable. Sounds fun, right? Well, spoiler alert, it is. It really is. Let's talk about how to build it. Welcome to D4. Hey everybody, so here at D4 each week I take a deep dive into character builds for my favorite role-playing games. I like to crunch numbers about them, theorycraft about them, not so that I can tell you the right way or the best way to play a character, but to explore one potential way to build something in the hopes of creating a character that is both really fun but also really powerful to play. So. If you enjoy creating characters for your favorite role-playing games almost as much as you enjoy playing the actual game itself, or if you're just looking for tips or ideas on how to build something that you're thinking about playing, then welcome home. This is where you belong. It really is. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for watching. My name's Colby. I put out build videos every Tuesday, so if you like what I do, I'd appreciate it if you would consider joining the channel as a member. There's a little button down there that says join. Click on it. It'll tell you all about it. You can get access to the library of write-ups that I create for each of these builds to help you create them yourself a little more easily if you want to. You can get access to our Discord server. You can get access to our monthly live Q&A hangout sessions. So anyways, it's all great huge thank you and shout out to my channel members especially you guys are amazing i could not do this without you and for everybody else thank you just for being here you don't have to be a member if you don't want to or don't think you can afford it i appreciate you just watching and liking and subscribing and commenting and ringing the notification bell all of the things all right so a few weeks ago, I did my first ever Baldur's Gate build where I actually kind of built around specific really fun and powerful magic items and conditions that are unique to Baldur's Gate 3 and don't exist in D&D, right? That build, in case you missed it, was the Icebreaker and it was a ton of fun. Check it out uh, right up there if you haven't. Well, now that I've done that, I feel like Pandora's box has kind of been opened. What's in the box? And it really lets me start thinking about all of the different fun, interesting, unique, powerful builds that you can do when you couple some really fun and awesome magic items together with like other magic items to combo their effects and play with conditions that are unique to the game, of which there are so many. And like with specific D&D spells and abilities, it's just like another level of a character building playground and I am here for it. Not to say that there isn't a time and a place for builds that just work really well regardless of your magic items, and I mean, the first, what, like 10 uh, Baldur's Gate 3 videos I did are chock full of builds just like that. Check out the playlist right here if you're not familiar with those. But yeah, today I wanted to take on another really awesome, fun build that cobbles together lots of items and spells and conditions that synergize incredibly well together. And I'm talking about Radiating Orb and Reverberation. For the uninitiated, the Radiating Orb condition uh, that doesn't exist in D&D 5e essentially lowers an enemy's chance to hit you by one for every stack of the condition that they have on them at the time, right? So if they have a stack of one, they've got a minus one to hit. Stack of two, minus two to hit, etc. There are only a handful of items in the game that apply this effect, and they all apply it when you deal damage to 
an enemy, usually when you specifically do radiant damage to them. On its own, it's a pretty nice condition to inflict. If you can stack multiple ways to apply it consistently, you can pretty quickly get an enemy to a point where their chance to hit you is next to nothing. They might succeed like only if they roll a crit, for instance. Radiating orb stacks automatically get reduced by one at the beginning of the affected creature's turn, right? So it just counts down every round. As for the reverberation condition, it's also unique to this game and it's a little more complicated. First up, for every stack of this condition that you have, you get a minus one to your strength, dexterity, and constitution saves. However, as soon as you get five stacks of reverberation, you take 1d4 of thunder damage, then you have to succeed on a DC 10 constitution saving throw or be knocked prone. After that though, all stacks of reverberation are removed. And while a DC 10 constitution save is not that difficult a save to make for lots of enemies in the game, keep in mind that they will have a minus five to that save when they make it, right? Because of their stacks of reverberation. So. Okay, a penalty to some saves and a little bit of damage. I mean, it seems nice, but it's nothing incredibly powerful, right? We'll see about that. But anyway, reverberation also decreases automatically by one at the beginning of the affected creature's turn, just like radiating orb. However, because of some really great synergies that you can get with certain items in the game and a number of spells, but I've got one in particular, you can make a character who applies a ton of stacks of both of these conditions really quickly, and it can lead to some devastating results for entire swarms of enemies, turning you into a one-character wrecking ball of a build who does lots of damage to every enemy on the battlefield while being nearly impossible to hit yourself at the same time. Oh, and my favorite part of the build, you actually get most of the best items for it right in Act 1, meaning by level 5 or 6, the build is like fully online and you feel like an unstoppable, unkillable powerhouse of radiant reverberation. Should we talk about how to build it? Let's do it. I proudly present uh, Baldur's Gate episode number 12, the radiant reverberator, the blinding light, flash and thunder, thunderstruck. Light and thunder? I think my favorite suggestion from the Discord community, uh, thanks everyone by the way, was the flashbang. Thanks to Uncanny Pally for that one. But I think in the end, I'm gonna go with the Night Radiant. I mean, come on, I got Dalinar right there. How can I not, right? But first, before we get to the build, I am thrilled to have Obvious Mimic as a sponsor for the video again this week. I'm not talking about their awesome uh, t-shirt collection this week, actually, though I do have, um, yeah, their Red Dragon Lodge underneath my hoodie. Bounch, bounch. <laughs> oh, I actually just put in an, another order for a few more shirts. Can't wait to get them, but instead, no. I need to tell you guys more about their new solo D&D adventure, The Crystals of Zaleth, which now has a soft cover book available for pre-order in addition to the out now PDF version. So in case you didn't know, Crystals of Zaleth is Obvious Mimic's second very successful solo D&D adventure. It is perfect for those who are forever DMs or who feel like playing D&D, but are maybe in between tables at the moment, or, well, maybe they just need a break from their table. We've all been there, right? Or maybe the best of all, for those of us who really want to, like, test the 157 character builds that they've made, but there's no way that they could actually do that in a group in a game, right? I might know a guy like that. If any of the above describes you, then you are in luck because yes, now you can play D&D all by yourself thanks to Obvious Mimic. Crystals of Zaleth smashed their Kickstarter funding goal this fall and it is now live and ready for delivery in PDF format. Like I said, I actually just got my PDF copy. Look how awesome it is. I can't wait 
late to jump in, but also, like I said, the softcover book is now available for pre-order for those of you who just love the feel of like paper in your hands, right? It is a classic adventure of exploration, discovery, and survival where you uncover the mysteries of a hidden city and hopefully live to tell the tale. So take your own path through an interactive story designed to replicate tabletop gameplay where your decisions have actual consequences. Fight monsters, cast spells, and find treasure with an original story with real stakes. Just like any D&D game, you get experience points, you level up, you gain new loot, and yeah, play all of those character builds that, especially as a viewer of my channel, I know you've been dying to take for a test drive. So please, you guys, go check out Crystals of Zaleth at the website that I've linked in the video description. That is how they know that I sent you. And also, if you could use the discount code ColbySolo. <laughs> yes, use that code at checkout and you'll get 10% off Crystals of Zaleth in addition, actually, to the 20% off uh, launch sale price if you're watching this video while they're still in the middle of their launch sale. That's 30% total. Maths. And actually, that code will get you even 10% off Wolves of Langston as well if you want to pick that up, their first uh, solo adventure, right? So huge thanks to Obvious Mimic. You guys are awesome. Love what you're doing. And let's jump into the build. Okay, so kind of like the Icebreaker build, we are going to be a little all over the place here compared to how I usually do builds. We'll be respecking. I wrote in the script at least twice. It's, I think it's like three or four times. And I mean, honestly, if you're if you're like me when you're playing BG3, I'm respecting like twice a level, right? What's more, there are magic items here that are absolutely paramount to this build working properly. And so I'm going to like talk about the decisions that we make as we're leveling, and then I'm gonna have to pause and talk about the items and where to get them and why they're so awesome. So yeah, we're a little all over the place here. I'm gonna start us off talking about what to do with the character up to level five, at which point we should have at least one or two of our important magic items. So I'll talk about them then, and we can get into tactics and kind of how it all works together. Uh, after that, I'll talk about some respecking that we'll be doing for the next few levels, why I want to respec, how, and then, you know, some, uh, some other potential great items that work well with the build, and then we'll finish out the build. Okay? Sound good? Sound good? Okay. All right. So, at level one, for our starting class here, we're going to go Cleric. The most important spell for this build is going to be Spirit Guardians. A little spoiler warning there. As Spirit Guardians can do radiant damage to multiple enemies, every round, uh, sometimes multiple times per round, actually, in a nice-sized AoE area of effect. The quickest way to get Spirit Guardians is by just beelining for Cleric 5, so that's how we're going to start off. As for our starting ability scores, let's go with a 16 Wisdom, a 16 Constitution, and a 14 Strength for now. Uh, we will be respecking later, as I've said, as we get items, but this is probably where I'd start. For the equipment, uh, yeah, I'm going to get into it. And then, right at level 1, Clerics get their subclass, right? And I think my favorite for this build is probably War Cleric. We actually have a couple of different options, honestly. Um, just about any of them could work, though Tempest Cleric and War Cleric are the only ones who get both heavy armor proficiency and martial weapon proficiency, and that martial weapon proficiency is going to be important for us eventually. But if you wanted to start off somewhere else, like a Light Cleric or a Life Cleric, I think those might be favorite alternatives. But War Cleric has some nice benefits, especially early on. First off, like I said, we do get heavy armor and martial weapon proficiency, and that's just going to give us access to the best armor and weapons as we get through these first few levels, right? But 
Also, War Clerics get the War Priest feature, which tells us that three times per long rest, we can make a weapon attack as a bonus action. That's not a ton of opportunities, right? But we often will be wanting to use our bonus action for other things, like casting Healing Word and later another spell that I've got in mind, so I don't mind the limited use here all that much. The truth is, we're not going to be depending on weapon attacks a ton on this build, but early on, I think, especially, we'll probably get more mileage out of those bonus action attacks than we would our cantrips, despite even our fairly mediocre 14 strength. As for spells we get at Cleric 1, I'm just gonna say let's stick to the usuals here. Guidance for some fantastic utility, Healing Word for a nice bonus action heal from range, Bless for one of the best buffs in game that you should absolutely be using your concentration on for these first few levels at least, and I'd even say Grab Guiding Bolt, especially later when our enemies are debuffed. It'll be something that we could use in a pinch to put some more radiant damage uh, on an enemy from range. Alright, at level 2. All clerics get Channel Divinity, which they can use once per short rest to either turn undead, forcing enemy undead within 30 feet of you to make a wisdom saving throw or spend their turn running away from you, or as a war cleric, we can also use our Channel Divinity for Guided Strike, which is pretty nice in that it lets you add 10 to your hit chance with a weapon, and you get to decide whether or not you want to use it until after you roll, so you'll know if using it's actually going to turn that miss into a hit, right? It can be really clutch if you just need to finish off an enemy before they get their next turn, for example. At level 3, we get second level cleric spells, and there are some good ones here, but most of them are support focused, right? Aid to increase your party's maximum hit points. Be sure to always use this, by the way. Lesser restoration for a little, like, condition cure-all. Uh, despite being a war cleric, we are still playing these early levels, especially as a bit of a hybrid, like, support damage dealer, right? War clerics do get spiritual weapon for free, though, which is nice. Uh, this lets us summon a weapon and then use our bonus action to make attacks with it, right? The downside here is that it only has a 20-foot move speed, unfortunately, so it often can be kind of difficult to get that spiritual weapon in place to make attacks every turn, but it's not a terrible use of a second-level spell, especially later when we've got tons of second-level spells. At level 4, we get our first feat, and I'd probably just use it to increase our wisdom here for now. It doesn't do a ton for us at this level. Feel free to increase strength instead if you think you're going to get more out of your weapon attacks, but or even, you know, take Great Weapon Master for that matter, but we don't have a great hit chance, so I'm a little nervous about Great Weapon Master on this build. But at level 5, we're especially going to want, like, that higher wisdom because we get third level spells at level 5. And this is when things really kind of start to come together for this build. First off, let me mention that I'd probably grab Aura of Vitality here as a spell option. It's an amazing spell, and it's even better in BG3 because it doesn't require concentration like it does in D&D. Lasts for 10 rounds, and it lets you heal yourself or an ally for 2d6 as a bonus action every single round, right? It's really great for both in combat and out of combat healing when you need it. Though at this level, with only two third level spell slots, I'm might not be using it all that often, if ever. Because the spell that we are most excited for here, of course, is Spirit Guardians, like I said. This spell is so good. As a reminder for those who need it, you cast Spirit Guardians as an action, and then for the next minute, it summons like spirits all around you that do either necrotic or radiant damage, your choice. You get to choose, but we're going to want to go radiant for the most part, and it does this damage to any enemy within 15 feet of you, whether you move the area over them or they move closer to you, unlike in D&D. It works a little differently, right? Okay, yes. This spell and its accompanying damage are already fantastic just by themselves. But what happens when we couple them with a few key 
items. Let's talk about the ones that we should be prioritizing here and that I think we can reasonably either have by now or at least anticipate getting very soon. First and foremost, the luminous armor. This medium armor has a 15 armor class, not bad, but not amazing. And it tells us that when we deal radiant damage, we cause what's called a radiant shockwave. This shockwave applies two stacks of the radiating orb condition that we've talked about already to every enemy within 10 feet. What makes this so dang powerful when coupled with spirit guardians is that if you were to walk right up to two enemies standing within 10 feet of each other with your spirit guardians active, they will both trigger radiant shockwave, meaning that they will get two stacks and their friend will get two stacks. And then when that one takes damage, they'll get two more stacks and the guy over here will get two more stacks, right? So they're both going to have four stacks of radiating orb. As soon as you walk up next to them. I mean, if you were to get three enemies within 10 feet of each other, we're talking six stacks, meaning that they will have right away a minus six to hit you. That's so nice. Now, the luminous armor can be found in the Salunite outpost in the Underdark. So beeline for the goblin camp, and then, you know, you can get to that area where you have to, like, solve the puzzle, and then you can climb down that ladder so you get into the Underdark, right? At, right at the Salunite outpost thus letting you grab this armor as soon as possible. We actually will be using it throughout our character's career, so I hope you like the armor model. <laughs> if not, you can turn it off and wear some fancy clothes. While we are down in the Underdark, let's grab the next item on our list, the Falar Aluve. I hope I'm saying that right. It's just right outside the gate at the outpost, right? Kind of stuck in that rock, the sword in the stone. That sword is stuck fast in solid stone. And you're going to pull it out. Merlin, it's impossible. Arthur, you're the true king of Camelot. Uh, this is a fantastic weapon. It's a long sword, but it's got the finesse property. So I think I would actually respec at this point to dump strength in favor of dexterity, since dexterity is going to be better for our armor class if we're wearing medium armor, not to mention, you know, give us a better initiative and a more important saving throw, etc. The sword is a plus one weapon, but the real reason we want it is because once per short rest, we can activate its melody and make it shriek or like sing, I think it is, for five rounds. We want to do the shriek option because this causes all enemies within 20 feet of us to suffer a minus d4 on all of their saving throws, meaning it's more likely that we'll get full damage from our spirit guardians, among other things. And when we attack them, we do an extra d4 of thunder damage too. Very nice. What's maybe even better, uh, though the tooltip doesn't say so, creatures affected by the shrieking sword also suffer a minus 1d4 to hit, which will mean all kinds of really good things for us. Uh, speaking of thunder damage, since we're down in the Underdark, let's run over to the Myconid Grove and talk to uh, Omelum, the Mind Flayer who's there, right? He's going to sell us the Boots of Stormy Clamor, which tell us that when we inflict a condition on a creature, like say, the radiating orb condition, for example, then we also inflict two stacks of reverberation on them. Remember, this means they have a minus two to their strength, dexterity, and constitution saves, right? And again, if you hit them with radiating orb twice because they got two stacks for taking radiant damage and two more for their friend who was within 10 feet of them, then they will both have four stacks of radiating orb and four stacks of reverberation. And when we hit five stacks of reverberation, they take thunder damage and potentially fall prone. One note, at the moment, it seems that these boots are a little bugged in our favor. I noticed that even if an enemy succeeded on a save against a condition I was trying to inflict on them, they were still getting reverberation stacks. I'm not complaining, 
but you might notice that reverberation is getting applied a lot more than you would have otherwise thought. And if so, this is probably why, or at least partly why. Oh, and also, a lot of things are considered conditions that you might not necessarily have thought of as a condition. For example, when someone first gets put into the area of your Shrieking Sword, it puts reverberation stacks on them. That Shrieking Sword debuff is a condition. When they are impacted by your Spirit Guardians, that is considered a condition in this game anyways. So yeah, reverberation is just going off like the 4th of July. Welcome to Earth. Let's then round things out here with two more items from uh, Kresh Yelek. Again, pronunciation. And yeah, if it were me, I'd seriously just like grab those items from the Underdark. Don't do any quests. Just head over to the Kresh because these two items are really important, especially the second one. First up, we've got uh, Gloves of Belligerent Skies. These are found in the Inquisitor's Chamber inside the Kresh. They tell us that when we do lightning or thunder, check, or radiant damage, check, we inflict two more stacks of reverberation on our target. That's really nice. We are very often now doing both thunder and radiant damage, right? So we're gonna be stacking a ton of reverberation for reduced saves, more damage, and like prone enemies everywhere. But finally, the piece de resistance. We have the Holy Lance Helm, which is available outside the creche, uh, like at the very top of the monastery, up by where those eagles are and stuff, right? This beauty says that when an enemy misses an attack against us, ranged or melee, or even a spell attack, if they fail a DC 14 dexterity save, which they'll probably do if they have some reverberation on them, right? Then they're gonna take 1d4 radiant damage. And if we have all of these items, dealing radiant damage is going to put both reverberation stacks and radiating orb stacks on them in an area of effect even when an enemy simply tries to hit us and likely fails this uh, dc by the way for this helm is based on your primary spellcasting stat so for us at the moment that's wisdom but if we respec to be like level one in a different class then that class's spellcasting stat is what will be used here so be aware of that. The result of all of this is truly a sight to behold. We very quickly turn into this like nigh unhittable monster doing damage to every enemy or almost every enemy on the entire battlefield where similar to the icebreaker our enemies are dying left and right just for trying to hit us but with the very big difference here being that they are dying because they are trying to get into range and hit us and dying because they're trying to hit us but missing. It is so freaking awesome and I will show you what it looks like in game but just give me a couple more levels first all right at level six i think i'm going to want to respec here so that i can swap out my feet now that we've got that all-important spirit guardian spell our number one priority becomes holding on to concentration and as a cleric we don't have constitution saving throw proficiency. Now, sure, we could respec to start off with, say, a level of sorcerer, sorcerer one, and then go cleric, right? Actually, we'll do that before long. But the problem with doing that at this level is that it makes us super mad, right? Multiple ability score dependent. The DC for our Holy Lance Helm as an item is going to be based on the spellcasting stat of whatever we took at level one, like I just said. Remember, that helm returns radiant damage if an enemy misses us, which they're going to be doing a lot. But they get to save against the damage, right? 
we want them failing that save as often as possible. But the DC for Spirit Guardians is based on our wisdom, and I want that to be high as well, and we also want high constitution and at least a 14 dexterity if we can get it for armor class and initiative and even weapon attack purposes. Altogether, I think we're just better off sticking with full cleric for now and losing a plus one to our wisdom modifier for the sake of a more reliable concentration check. And thus, that was a long-winded way of saying, for our feet, let's take resilient constitution here. It lets us add a plus one to our constitution and then gives us constitution and thus concentration check proficiency, right? And yeah, so go ahead and respec if you want to get your ability score so that you're at a 17 constitution, right? And then this would bump it to 18. Anyways, we're still cleric here, so we'd be a cleric six. And as a war cleric, we get the war god's blessing feature, which lets us use our reaction to give our channel divinity plus 10 to hit to an ally instead of to ourselves. Might be worth it if you've got a heavy hitter that really needs to finish someone off. At level seven, I would want to respec again, but this time much more drastically. I actually want to drop most of our cleric levels here for Bard. Yeah. When the question is raised, which class is the most powerful in all of Baldur's Gate 3, the answer continues to be Bard. Like, almost regardless of what you're trying to do with the build. What madness is this? So, here's the thing. The Spirit Guardian spell in this game is pretty much exclusive to clerics, unless you are a bard who has magical secrets. In which case, congratulations, you win. And as a lore bard, we get magical secrets earlier than the other subclasses, right? We get it at bard level six, which we could be now with a respec and still hold on to a level of cleric for both full caster and armor and weapon proficiencies, right? Now, you could certainly just stick with cleric here, and it would work great. You'd pick up fourth level cleric spells. I just think bards are better all-rounders with access to more and better spells, better utility and social interaction, and that sweet, sweet bardic inspiration. So let me quickly go through now what six levels of bard looks like for us here. First off, let me say start as a bard one. So we've got charisma, right? And then we're going to want to change our abilities again, uh, making sure to prioritize charisma over wisdom, since that's the ability that's going to affect both the DC for our items and now our bard spells, including Spirit Guardians once we get it. At Bard 1, then, we're going to get Bardic Inspiration, which lets us help our allies make their attacks and saves and ability checks more reliably. We're going to get Bard spells, and I'm just going to say pick your favorites here, probably largely avoiding things that require concentration, at least if they're like a combat-focused spell, right? As we are going to need that concentration for Spirit Guardians, but yeah, I mean, Vicious Mockery, Friends, Healing Word, Dissonant Whispers is always great, and maybe especially Thunder Wave on this build. These are all worth considering. At Bard 2, we get Song of Rest for one more short rest per day, which is really great, as well as Jack of All Trades, which adds half of our proficiency bonus to an ability check that we are not proficient in. At Bard 3, uh, we get Expertise, which is going to double our proficiency bonus in a couple of skills that we're proficient in, so feel free to become your group's resident lockpicker and trap disarmor now if you want, but yeah, go ahead, pick your favorite skills here, probably Perception at least, but that's up to you. We also get second level Bard spells now, and most of the best ones require concentration, so yeah, pick your favorite, PYF, but I'd maybe grab Shatter and Lesser Restoration, I think. Invisibility is nice to have when you need it outside of combat. More importantly, though, at this level we get our Bard subclass, and yes, I want to go lore for two very great reasons. Magical secrets later, yes, but at this level we get the incredibly wonderful cutting words. This 
is just so dang good. And yeah, it's even better in Baldur's Gate than it is in D&D. In D&D, it lets us use our reaction and one of our bardic inspiration uses to reduce an enemy's attack roll, ability check, or damage roll. In BG3, it's attack roll, ability check, or saving throw. Saving throw. People, do you realize how freaking good this is? I mean, use it for your companion monk's stunning strike or your companion's hold person spell. I just kind of feel like I have a hard time making any party right now that doesn't have a lore bard in it, honestly, because of how good Cutting Words is. It's so good. And sure, if we wanted to be selfish, we could use it to make sure someone fails their save against the damage that they take from our helmet when they miss an attack, right? That may seem silly for just a couple of radiant damage, but keep in mind it also is going to apply radiant orb to them and their nearby allies, and thus reverberation, right? And yeah, it can really help us kind of get the ball rolling on massive waves of debuffing, so it might be worth considering using even just for that two radiant damage. Don't I repeat, do not use this to ensure that someone fails their save against damage from spirit guardians. They're going to take half damage even if they succeed on their save, and just taking some radiant damage is what makes this so powerful, because it'll still get that wave of debuffing going. Full damage is nice, but it's much less important, so yeah, save your reaction and your inspiration for something else. Right, at bard 4, we get our feet, and I would keep it at resilient constitution for now. At bard 5, we get third level spells, and again, I'm going to say pick your favorite. All of the best ones require concentration here, especially the inspiration improvements are the real gem for Bard 5 here for us for this build. Our inspiration die goes up to a d8, and we get those inspirations back on a short rest, which is just amazing, honestly. But Bard 6 is the promised land, because yes, as a lore bard, that means we get magical secrets, and that lets us take two spells from other spellcaster classes. Though, as an aside, I hate how restrictive BG3 makes this list. In D&D, it's literally any other third level spell in the game. But Baldur's Gate 3 gives you like this sort of prescriptive list, right? Maybe they just didn't want to overwhelm players with too many choices. I don't know. As an aside, the 5e spells mod takes care of that little problem, as well as adding a ton of other spells from D&D in the game. Uh, highly recommended. Probably my favorite mod. Regardless, uh, Spirit Guardians is an option here, so we can grab that and have it count as a bard spell now using our charisma for the saving throw, right? Fantastic. As for the other spell we get to choose, I'm going to say let's grab Misty Step. Now, sure, we can get Misty Step from lots of items in the game, but we have a pretty specific list of items that we want to be using to augment this build. You could grab the amulet that gives you Misty Step once per short rest, but I think I'd just as soon have it usable with all of my spell slots if need be as well. I think I'd be Misty Stepping a lot on this character, uh, as you'll see in in a minute. A lot of the times you're going to have archers or casters like perched up high or enemies who are otherwise like just out of reach and having Misty Step so that you can hit as many enemies with your spirit guardians as possible right on round one is going to be huge to really get our like debuff ball rolling. Okay. Level 7 is, I think, a good place to kind of show off the build in action. I could have done it at level 5, but I couldn't find a good save that I liked at level 5. So, you know, at this point, we've moved on from all cleric to mostly bard, which I'm going to kind of continue to be throughout the character build. So, yeah, felt like a good place to test it. Check it out. All right, let's see here. So, we've got our Holy Lance Helm, our Luminous Armor, our Gloves of Belligerent Skies, and our Boots of Stormy Clamor along with the Fala Aluve. I've got some other things here, none of which are particularly important to the build. First thing, put ourselves in turn-based mode. 
Go Spirit Guardians. We want the Radiant Damage version, of course. And sure, we've got a 4 level spell slot. Let's use it. Then, end turn. Wait a few seconds, and uh, then we can get our Falar Aluve Melody going. This only lasts five rounds, so we want to do this last, right? Shriek, not sing. Get that going. And then, let's start things off with the bang here. I'll just jump in and surprise him. Boom. Okay. Uh, yeah, we both died. Sorry about that. And then I'll just kind of run up here. We took a bunch of damage. Uh, I don't have a lot of bonus action options here, but almost right. Do a little more. I don't care. Still did a bunch of damage. Still got knocked prone because of all of the reverberation stacks that you've got. And yeah, we're done. Third turn, stand up. Miss an attack on me and die as a result. Let's keep this party going, shall we? Okay, trip attack. No, I think I'm going to say... Oh, and you took some damage and got knocked prone as a result. Awesome. Okay, we'll run up and... You know what? Let's Misty Step. I'm going to go here and try and get... Well, I don't think I can get all three of them, so we'll go here. Kaboom. This guy's prone, so let's go ahead and hit him since we have damage. Oops. Oops. <laughs> you ran up, tried to hit me, and then missed me and died. And that's the hurt. Oh, sorry, you died. Oh, sorry, you died. <laughs> Oh, you missed, and you got knocked prone. I apologize. Okay, you've got more hit points, so we'll go boom. Um, nah. And, you know, since these guys both have 10 stacks of radiating orb, this is the guy I'm more concerned about, so turn over here and see if we can take them out. Thanks, spellcasters. Uh, nah. Alright, and we're done. Okay, you stand up, and what are you going to do? Oh, let me guess. Die. <laughs> nah, you're going to die anyways. Um, okay, you're going to stand up, and hmm, what's going to happen? Uh, you're going to die. <laughs> oh, he didn't quite die. That guy did. So let's go finish this. Okay. Oh, I didn't even get to attack him. He just died too soon. Oh, so much fun. So fun, right? I think I took like six damage over that entire fight and so many enemies were just dying for getting close to me or even missing me. It was just, uh, it's so fun. All right, so before we get back to the build, let's talk about some additional items that will augment the build and should be available for us at or around this level, kind of late act one and into act two. First up, I'd be sure to grab the adamantine shield from the adamantine forge. It's super nice in that, you know, if a melee attack misses us, the shield gives the enemy two stacks of the reeling condition. That's nice because 
conditions equal reverberation for us, right? But also reeling gives them a minus one to hit penalty for each stack of it they have. So it just makes it even less likely that they're ever gonna hit us. I also love that the shield prevents us from being crit because honestly, at this point, a lot of enemies will only be able to hit us if they roll a 20. And so while rolling a 20 is still gonna do damage to us, with this shield, at least it won't do extra damage now, right? As for rings, I would prioritize getting the Callus Glow ring and the Coruscation ring. Callus Glow is in Char's Gauntlet, so kind of later Act 2, but it just deals two radiant damage to creatures every time we deal damage to them. And we deal lots of little bits of damage to them. And radiant damage procs radiating orbs, so there's just some really nice synergy there, right? Coruscation ring is in the Cellar of Light's Hope uh, in Act 2, so you can get it pretty early in Act 2, and it just straight up applies two more stacks of Radiating Orb whenever we do spell damage, which we do a lot. So this is going to just really skyrocket those Radiating Orb stacks. Alternatively, you might want to grab the Ring of Spiteful Thunder. You can buy this off Rua Moonglow in the Moonrise Towers, and it just does an extra one thunder damage whenever you deal thunder damage. I know that's not huge, but we actually end up doing a lot of thunder damage with all of the times that we're going to be cycling reverberation to five stacks and starting over, right? So it does add up. Maybe more importantly, it tells us that when we do thunder damage to a reverberating creature, they're going to have to make a constitution save, which they'll likely fail since they're reverberating, right? And if they fail it, they will get the dazed condition. And dazed is nice because, among other things, it's going to give them disadvantage on wisdom saves, which means we're more likely to get full damage from our spirit guardians, among other things. One consideration, though, dazed keeps them from being able to make opportunity attacks, and while that's usually a good thing, we actually might want to be, like, intentionally proccing opportunity attacks on our enemies, similar to the icebreaker, right? So that they'll take a swing at us because they're probably going to miss and that's just going to mean more damage and more debuff stacks for us if they do. Worth considering regardless. Another like worth considering item here is the Luminous Gloves. These are found in the Ruined Battlefield in Act 2 and just apply one more stack of Radiating Orb when we do Radiant Damage. I think personally I prefer to just stick with the Gloves of Belligerent Skies here which applies Reverberation, right? Since at this point we're going to be getting a lot of Radiating Orb stacks really quickly most of the time and more Reverberation is probably preferable since that kind of cycles up to five, does damage, might knock them prone, and then starts over, right? But play around with both and see what you prefer. Okay, let's jump back into the build then. At level eight, I'm gonna say let's respec yet again. I know, it's a lot, but doing so would let us now start off as a sorcerer one so that we could have constitution saving throw proficiency and go cleric one for the armor and weapon proficiency and you know some bonus action weapon attacks if we want them, and then bard six so that we could still have spirit guardians. With all of our most important features working off charisma while still having the spell slots of a full caster, constitution saving throw proficiency and yeah, we just have complete and total happiness now. As we're going through the respecking process, then just make sure to change your feet from Resilient Constitution to like plus Charisma or potentially the Warcaster feet. This would, among other things, give us advantage on our concentration check. So now we'd have both proficiency and advantage and we will almost never lose concentration unless we get knocked prone. Man, I hate that that breaks concentration in this game. <laughs> Admittedly, it kind of makes sense, but 
Ugh, so frustrating. At least it works against enemies as well. I would probably bump Charisma, I think, personally. Now, Sorcerers also get their subclass at Sorcerer 1, and I'm just gonna actually say, pick your favorite here. I think I'd probably go with Draconic Bloodline, taking White Dragon uh, as the Dragon Ancestry again, so that I could get access to the Armor of Agathus spell. It really is a great spell, and not only does it increase our survivability, but it kind of doubles down on the whole, look, if you attack me, you're gonna take damage, whether you hit or miss, kind of vibe, right? Super cool. I can also see an argument for Storm Sorcerer here though as the little bit of flight that you can potentially get with it might help us to move around the battlefield a little better without having to burn through all of our second level spell slots for Misty Step all of the time. But yeah, feel free to go wild magic uh, for kicks if you really want. As for the spells that we should take at Sorcerer 1, this is another really nice reason to go Sorcerer as there are plenty of spells to consider. Shield, of course, is always fantastic and here will not only let us use our reaction to avoid taking damage by raising our armor class by five for a round when we get hit, right? But when we turn a hit into a miss like this, it's going to return a bunch of damage thanks to our helm and then all the reverberation that we're going to cause by getting missed and returning damage and conditions as a result, right? The other spell that I really want here though is a magic missile. It's not a particularly powerful spell, but the way that it fires off multiple darts that automatically hit and can be directed at multiple enemies means that if we have the callus glow ring which just does an extra two radiant damage every time we damage an enemy well that's sort of a guaranteed way then thanks to our breastplate right to just target three or four enemies or whatever we want to cast the spell at to just get a bunch of radiating orb stacks going to enemies at range if we can't quite get to them etc all right at level nine we'll be done with respecking for a while at least, maybe forever, but that means that we would be a Bard 7 here, right? So Sorcerer 1, Cleric 1, Bard 7 now. This means we get 4th level Bard spells, and the ones that I would grab I think would be Dimension Door and Freedom of Movement. Dimension Door is like Misty Step on steroids, it lets us go further and even bring a friend along for the ride if we want. Freedom of Movement, it lasts all day in this game versus a measly 1 hour in D&D, and it keeps us from being slowed or paralyzed or restrained, which is super important on this build especially because we really want to be running around and getting as many enemies in the effect of our uh, Spirit Guard as we can, right? At level 10, we would be a bard 8, and that means another feat, which I would probably use to bump my charisma to 20, unless I used the hags plus 1 on this character, and thus was already at 20. So yeah, note, right, when you're going through the early levels here, even though you're going to be a cleric, when you get that hag plus 1, don't use it on wisdom. At least I wouldn't. Anyways, we might already be at 20, in which case, sure, bump your constitution or take the Warcaster feat. At level 11, we would be a Bard 9, and that means 5th level spells, but again, most of the best ones are concentration, right? Hold monster, dominate person, etc. But you could grab Greater Restoration to get you out of curses and other really terrible conditions, and Mass Cure Wounds uh, gives us a nice party-wide heal in a pinch. But at level 12, we would be a Bard 10. And I mean, sure, for lore bards, that means their second helping of magical secrets, right? And so now we could grab, like, Fire Shield, which would return more damage if an enemy somehow managed to hit us, or Death Ward, which is always useful to keep us or an ally alive a little longer, or Cone of Cold, or Conjure Elemental, a really powerful summon there. Or, I mean you could become a gish instead, <laughs> right? You guys know me, I just might go gish. Honestly, this would entirely depend for me on whether or not I had someone else in the party playing a lore bard. And I mean, if one lore bard is good, 
two lore bards might be better. But I'd also probably only want to go this route if I had a bunch of like giant strength elixirs available to chug since we don't really have the stats to be relying on our weapon damage all that often. But if I did have another party member playing lore bard and lots of giant strength elixirs, then yeah, I think I might just respec from lore bard to swords bard here. Definitely not necessary, but all bards get magical secrets at bard 10, right? So even a swords bard could pick up spirit guardians and misty step if we needed to, and then we would get an extra attack on our turn to really make good use of that Faller Aluve, or, you know, if you had another weapon that you liked even more by this point, you know, it's end game now, you probably have that uh, Marco Heshkir staff, right? That legendary staff, and actually that one of the options for the self buff that that gives gives you is something that works really well here, doing like thunder damage, giving you some really great thunder damage spells, and applying reverberation to. I, I am admittedly hesitant to use anything other than the Faller Aluve because that really helps us get our debuff stacks going and gives the enemies an additional minus 1d4 to hit and to save, right? It's really good. But yeah, Marka Heshkir is definitely an alternative worth considering here. So yeah, Swords Bard is a potentially fun alternative. They do get medium armor proficiency, so if you were going to use the staff instead of the Faller Aluve, you could drop that War Cleric level if you wanted and go Bard 11 so you could get 6th level Bard spells. Or, you know, pick up something else. Another Sorcerer level for some metamagic options. I don't know. The, the build works very, very similarly either way. So I'm kind of thinking, like, eh, we might as well make another weapon attack per turn. Anytime we do damage, it's going to throw out some debuffs, right? Okay, so... Let me wrap things up here with a few final thoughts. In case it wasn't obvious, I love this build a lot. It comes online so early and is just so fun to play in-game. And yeah, you've guessed it, I've started yet another playthrough so that I could have this character as my Tav. It just messes up the battlefield so drastically and so quickly all by itself. I even think that the build could potentially be a fairly effective build for a solo run. I'm gonna put an asterisk on that though. There are some fights that return a ton of damage to you when you deal radiant damage, right? So those fights would be really rough for this build. You could switch your damage to Necrotic for Spirit Guardians and then like swap out your items that do Radiant damage, but yeah, it'd be rough. You'd lose a lot of synergy and uh, it'd be tough. Also, some fights you just need to be doing a ton of like single target damage actively with like weapon attacks and spell attacks and this build really isn't that. I think it would work great as a solo build, maybe for like regular mode or maybe even Tactician. I'm not sure I would want to try Honor Mode with it, but hey, someone do it prove me wrong. I mean, speaking of your teammates, or lack thereof, I guess, I didn't really talk much about what your teammates might be doing to synergize with this build, but there's a ton you could work with here. First off, reducing every enemy's hit chance and, like, knocking them prone and dazing them and reducing their saving throws is going to benefit any party member immensely, of course. So you might want to stick Lorebard here and kind of play this character as your support, right? They're going to do a ton of damage too, but they could be sort of just throwing out heals and stuff otherwise. And I mean, yeah, a monk's stunning strike is going to be so much more reliable when the enemy has a few stacks of reverberation on him, as will a fireball spell or anything else that allows for a constitution strength or dexterity saving throw. And even a wisdom saving throw, if you decide to equip that spiteful thunder ring, right, that, that would then start giving enemies disadvantage on their wisdom saves, and there are a ton of devastating 
devastating spells in this game that allow for wisdom save. Here's one favorite companion idea. With all of the knocking prone that you're going to be doing on enemies when they get five stacks of reverberation, right? Spec one of your characters to be a wild heart barbarian. At level three, that barbarian would take tiger heart for their subclass option, which will, among other things, let you give the bleed condition to enemies. And at level six, you can pick wolverine for your animal aspect, which says if you attack a bleeding target, they are maimed. And maimed simply reduces an enemy's move speed to zero. And if an enemy is prone and they're maimed, they can't stand up. So they're just stuck on the ground doing nothing. And I mean, if you didn't want to go barbarian, you know, equip a good melee character with a battle axe or a war pick. Those weapons get the special maiming strike ability only once per short rest, but that will also maim a target potentially. Or heck, do both, right? A dual wielding Wolverine barbarian. Wolverines! Sorry, Red Dawn, anybody? <laughs> uh, the original, not the, not the remake. But yeah, this would be so much fun, right? Pinning enemies to the ground as they just writhe in agony, burning up, blinded with radiant damage, deafened by peals of thunderous reverberation, and unable to do really anything. Man, I love this game, and I know you do too. So thanks for watching. Uh, that's the build for the week. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know in the comments what items or abilities you think I might have missed that would make this build even more powerful. I've seen people throw together, you know, open hand monks that can do radiant damage on every hit, right? And start stacking radiating orb that way. You could try and build a more melee focused character around the Blood of Lathander, uh, legendary mace, right? That does radiant damage. So yeah, let me know. What, uh, what spells would you use? How would you build a character around these awesome fun items and conditions? But anyways, I love you guys. Thank you so much for all that you do for me. You are the best, truly. I hope you have a fantastic day and a great week. And if you don't, I hope that you will hang in there. I believe in you. You can do this. I hope that you will do good and be kind and stay safe and that I will see you again very soon. But until then, take care. Bye. Let me be your everlasting light A sun where there is none I'm a shepherd for you And I'll guide you through Let me be your everlasting light <laughs> You know, I love me some black keys And that song is like perfect for this build, right? The light kind of got the reverb in that super like synthy bass line but the problem is he sings it like an octave higher than that nobody wants to hear me do that let me be your everlasting light <laughs> somewhere there is none <laughs> Shoo <laughs> I can't tell if when I look at my hoodie, it doesn't look like I have anything on it, but on the camera it does. Maybe it's the is it this oh it's just the Wow. That is a. Uh, shining through, I guess. Huh? What are you going to do? The radiation... Uh, 
well, it's not really a spoiler warning if I don't give it until after I'm done saying what I'm about to spoil, right? Uh, and for those uh, non-United States viewers, well, everybody knows what the 4th of July is, right? So cocky. <laughs> Corusation? Coruscation. Sword, uh, swords bard. Did I say lore bard? Okay. okay, start this all over. I haven't scripted this, so I'm kind of ad-libbing here. They do get medium weapon proficiency, so... Uh, medium weapon. Bounce. Bounce. <laughs>